Hello all and welcome to this episode of No Home for Heroes. No Home for Heroes explores histories of military mysteries regarding Americans who are missing in action from our past wars. These long forgotten MIAs are remembered here. Today's episode is titled To Chris from Dawn, The Baffling Case of X-37. Today's episode of No Home for Heroes is taken from case number 0046 in the files of the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation. Can a snippet from a 75-year-old newspaper article help solve the case of a missing Marine that has baffled investigators for decades? Is it the break in the case that all investigators dream about? Well, I'm your host, Rick Stone, bringing you another great and true story from our vault of history's military mysteries. No Home for Heroes is a trademark production sponsored by the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation. For more information on the foundation, visit our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. We invite you to listen to all of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast or streaming platform you prefer. We dedicate this episode today to our loyal listeners down under in New Zealand and one in particular who, if still alive, would be approaching her 100th birthday. Her name is Miss Dawn Farrell. Dawn, if you or your family hear this story, please drop us a line as we have a real birthday surprise for you. And now, on with the show. In history's military mysteries and in my previous career in law enforcement, you sometimes stumble upon clues in a case that seem like they would be slam dunks to solve. It was always nice when the bad guy seemingly dropped his wallet, complete with his driver's license, at the scene of a robbery. Well, sometimes it was only to find out it wasn't the suspects at all but a previous victim. Nice lead, but no slam dunk. Today's case on No Home for Heroes is kind of like that, but it's a clue that has baffled me for 11 years, and it has turned out to be a nice lead that has been a big, giant dead end for almost 80 years for every investigator who has ever worked the case of unknown X-37. It was hot on the morning of Wednesday, March 20th, 1946, when a contingent from the American Graves Registration Unit split up into four teams to scatter all over the island to continue excavation of isolated burials and two cemeteries on the island of Tarawa to locate, recover, and identify, if possible, over 900 American Marines, sailors, and airmen who had been lost during the Battle of Tarawa in 1943. Overall, the unit consisted of one commanding officer, two chaplains, one dental officer, one embalmer, one draftsman, one dental technician, one supply sergeant, two group leaders, three section leaders, one medical department tooth charting supervisor, six field tooth charters, one photographer, uh, who would later lose his life returning home from the mission, and the people who really did the work, 25 diggers. There was also one bulldozer operator, but the bulldozer broke down after only four days of use. And there were four clerks to record the information recovered. This was the 
AGRS, that's American Graves Registration Unit, sometimes called AGRIS. This was AGRIS unit fifth day on Tarawa, and things had not gone well. They had only found 48 bodies, and very few of their maps describing where the dead were buried appeared to be accurate. In addition, identifying the skeletal remains proved to be extremely difficult. The fifth body found that morning by the sweating diggers in row one of Cemetery 26 was no different. The field tooth charter simply noted unknown on the chart and added the notation, quote, number 17 to number 26 shot off, meaning that all the teeth in the lower right of the jaw were blown away. The tooth charter also recorded four extractions and four teeth with fillings in the remaining portions of what was given the name Unknown X-37. The remains designated X-37 were dutifully wrapped in a blanket, taken to a Quonset hut on Tarawa, where the teeth would again be examined by the team dental officer and compared to the pre-mortem dental charts of all of Tarawa's dead and missing. Somehow, X-37 had grown two molars on the lower right side in the transfer from the cemetery to the Quonset hut that were noted as extracted by the field tooth charter. Neither of the two charts could be matched to any Tarawa casualty and X-37 was buried in Lone Palm Cemetery on Tarawa as a unknown. On Monday, 13 May 1946, Agris completed their mission and threw up their collective blistered hands with little more than half of the recoveries that should have been found on Tarawa, about 500. They soon boarded a transport ship that took them back to Honolulu. Well, seven months later, Agris was back on Tarawa to retrieve all of the bodies that had been temporarily buried in Lone Palm Cemetery and ultimately take them to the Army Central Identification Laboratory in Honolulu for more intensive examinations. When X-37 was again exhumed on 17 December 1946, he had lost three molars from the upper left and regained a missing molar from the lower left. Now, none of these three dental charts of X-37 matched each other or any other Tarawa casualty. In Hawaii, respected anthropologist Dr. Margaret Trotter took over the careful examination of X-37. First, she found bones that belonged to someone else. Who? No one knows. Then, equally amazing, Dr. Trotter somehow found all of the teeth that had been noted as shot away by the agri charters, and three of these had fillings. Also, the locations of the extractions noted by Agris did not match Dr. Trotter's findings. Oh, maddening? Now, none of the four dental charts of X-37 matched each other, and they didn't match any other Tarawa casualty. But, and there's always a but in history's military mysteries, if you thought the mystery of X-37 would end with dueling dental charts, you'd be wrong. Rummaging through the bones, Dr. Trotter also found the following. This is direct from her report. Quote, one silver chain with a silver, silver metal charm inscribed on the back to Chris from Dawn, 8 9 
Well, Dr. Trotter also found one right brown GI-issued shoe, size 8F. She found a U.S. dime, a U.S. quarter, a cigarette lighter, a finkel nail clipper, and one small caliber bullet. <laughs> Eureka, said I, and probably a dozen other previously frustrated detectives who've worked this case. We have a first name of Chris with a girlfriend, probably not a wife, based on the date who smoked, wore size 8 shoes, trimmed his nails regularly, and had 35 cents to his name. Not to mention being killed by a Japanese rifle bullet. But Dr. Trotter wasn't finished. She gave us even more clues. She estimated X-37's weight to be 165 to 175 pounds, and his height to be about 5 foot 8 and a little bit more than 5 foot 8. She didn't know the color of his hair, but his race was probably white. That was her quote. With all these clues, how hard could this case be? Well, the answer was baffling. The investigation revealed that during August 1943, the date on the medallion, the 2nd Marine Division was stationed in New Zealand in preparation for the landings at Tarawa. So it's likely that the American casualty who wore this medallion received it from a woman in New Zealand during this period. There were 50 unresolved casualties from the Battle of Terra who were married, including at least three who were married in New Zealand, probably many more. The records of all 50 of these individuals were checked, and none of the married unresolved casualties had a wife with the listed name of Dawn. We ascertained that three unresolved casualties from the Battle of Tarawa shared the same month and day as a birthday to the date listed on the medallion, August 9th. These were Corporal John Robert John Brand, Private First Class Anthony Pegg, and Corporal Fred Clay Wallace. It does not seem likely that any of these individuals would assume the name of Chris. And there are no unresolved casualties from the Battle of Tarot with the name Christopher or Chris. There is one unresolved casualty with a similar sounding name, Sergeant Chris, spelled C-R-I-S-S, Reese, but he was excluded dentally as a most likely man. But then came the big break. In May 2022, I found a newspaper article referring to a nurse in New Zealand. Her name was Dawn Farrell. This nurse was obviously a close friend of PFC Lawrence Young, who is one of our Tarawa MIAs. Here's the newspaper article with the pertinent information about Dawn and PFC Young. PFC Lawrence C. Young, 18 has been posthumously awarded the Purple Heart for wounds which resulted in his death at Tarawa on November 20, 1943. First reported missing in January, he was declared dead in March. His body has never been recovered. Private Young, who joined the Marines in February 1943, was overseas from July 12th until November 20th, 1943, when he was reported missing. Mr. and Mrs. Young this week received a letter from Miss Dawn Farrell, a registered nurse in a hospital in New Zealand, enclosing four pictures of their son and a request that they write to her now and then. The letter 
was mailed May 14, 1944. Aha, I said, a New Zealand girlfriend of a missing terrible marine whose name was Don. But wait a minute. PFC's young, his name wasn't Chris. And his middle initial wasn't C, as stated in the newspaper article. It was D for Dwight. How about all the other Trotter clues? Do they match PFC Young? Well, just about. If we throw out the confusing array of dental charts, remember four dental charts that didn't match each other. So, including a close match to the shoe size with an extremely rare wide width. F. So, is X-37 Private First Class Lawrence Dwight Young? I confess, I don't know. I'm baffled. Either way, here's a tip for the Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency. We've narrowed down the potential list of most likely matches to unknown X-37 to only seven individuals, including PFC Young. With such a small number of possible matches, how hard can this case be for DPAA to finally solve with a simple DNA comparison. <laughs> As I've said many times before, come on, DPAA, just do your job. Find the family reference samples for the most likely seven and refer the case to the Armed Forces DNA Identification Laboratory and let them solve this baffling case. And if you or any of our listeners know a 100-year-old nurse in New Zealand or a family member, whose name was or is Don Farrell, please get in contact as soon as possible. I sure would like to talk to her or her family about a small monkey charm and a boyfriend she knew as Chris. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Home for Heroes. We hope you've enjoyed today's production, and we invite you to check out our other episodes on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you like to listen to. No Home for Heroes is featured on just about any podcast site all across the world. We greatly appreciate your comments, and a special link is available for you to contact us on our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. We again thank you for your support of our mission to provide information to the families of missing American servicemen and missing American servicewomen. Every assistance counts, and you do make a difference. Until next time, be careful, be safe, and wishing you fair winds and following seas, I'm your host, Rick Stone, reminding you that poor is the nation that has no heroes, but shameful is the nation that having heroes forgets them. <laughs>